Welcome to today's episode of the VJ Oncology podcast. In this episode, we'll hear from three leading experts who spoke at the EAU 2021 meeting on some of the most exciting recent advances in the field of testicular cancer. First up, we have Talita Zuvaloon from the Erasmus MC Cancer Institute, who's going to talk on the role of MRI and CT scans in the management of patients with testicular cancer, highlighting data from the TRIST trial. Yeah, so my name is Talita Zuvaloon, and I'm one of the urologists at the Erasmus MC Center for Complex Retroperitoneal Surgery, um, with a focus on testicular cancer. And um, during the EAU, EAU from uh, this year, um, I mainly focus on the role of imaging in testicular tumors. And to give it a little bit of background or context, um, so imaging for testicular cancer can be used in different settings. First of all, we can start at the initial diagnosis. And um, secondly, we can use imaging for the surveillance of these patients, but also in the post-chemotherapy setting to detect residual disease. And one of the most important things that was uh, presented at ESCO-GU um, this year by the group from uh, Robert Hoddard was uh, the trial of imaging and surveillance in uh, stage one seminoma testicular tumors. So in this study, um, what we discussed was um, that they looked at CT versus MRI and the number of um, CTs or MRIs and whether this could be safely reduced um, with an, an acceptable increase or um, of advanced relapses. So there were two groups where the patients, first of all, received CT versus MRI, and within the CT or MRI arm, they received either three or seven images images, so either by CT or by MRI. So they included 669 men um, with stage one seminomas, and of these patients, 82 uh, relapsed. And 10 out of these 82, so 12%, had, a, had an advanced relapse. So the first thing that they discussed was whether the MRI was inferior to the, um, non-inferior to the CT. And based on their non-inferiority criteria, they found that the MRI is non-inferior to the CT. Secondly, they show that having three scans is non-inferior to seven scans. So they concluded that um, if it's feasible, an MRI is, is a very good alternative for the CT. And in this way, we can also reduce the um, toxicity on our testicular cancer patients um, and to reduce also the number of um, secondary uh, malignancies. Um, other things that they also found in the TRIST trial is um, that there is a low rate of um, advanced relapses and also after three years, uh, relapses are rare. So in the discussion, uh, what we talked about was, um, I received a question if I would um, advise to use the MRI and how we would go about this in areas where the MRI is not available. So what I think is important for the future is to consider that the MRI from the trial is non-inferior to the CT. And um, most, of, most of all, when the MRI is not used, this is because of um, cost effectiveness, because of the lack of expertise um, to evaluate the MRI, and also the organizational implementation. That's very difficult. 
Um, but we should think about whether these reasons are good enough for us to withhold the MRI from our patients since we have the results from the TRIST trial. So in my opinion, I think it's very important that if there is a possibility to use the MRI, we should use it for our patients. And if the MRI is not available, then we should use the CT but with less um, frequent imaging. So that was the first part that we talked about um, on imaging in testicular tumors. Secondly, we talked about um, the role of imaging, so the PET-CT in the post-chemotherapy setting. And um, I think there was a general consensus, which, which has been unchanged over the past years, that in case of a, a residual mass that is larger than three centimeters, um, we should use the PET-CT in case of seminomas because of the high negative predictive value. But in contrary, in case of non-seminomas, um, there are two landmark papers that we discussed that show that the, um, the positive predictive value of um, the PET-CT for non-seminomas is approximately 50%. Sorry, the negative predictive value is approximately 50%. So this means it's like flipping a coin. And um, therefore, I think the general consensus is still that there is no role for uh, PET-CTs in um, the post-chemotherapy setting in non-seminomas. So in the end, we had a wrap-up where we um, talked about um, the future of um, imaging for testicular tumors and also specifically about the role of the PET-CT for non-seminomas. And some uh, latest uh, manuscripts uh, showed that there might be a role for the PET-CT if we have a, a look at the kinetic rate or the standard uptake value um, in non-seminomas. Because what they saw in these studies is that, um, for example, in teratomas, the kinetic rate, so the uptake of the tracer, is quicker compared to, for example, scar or necrosis. So it, this is really worthwhile investigating in future studies. And the second thing that um, I think is also important considering is um, lymphotrophic um, nanoparticle enhanced MRIs, where the nanoparticles are um, um, taken up by macrophages within the lymph nodes, lymph nodes and this increases or improve, actually improves um, imaging of the lymph nodes. And lastly, what I think is um, important for the future is radiomics in um, detection of testicular can cancer, as there have been a few um, recent studies also presented um, in abstracts where they show that um, detection of tumor versus um, normal tissue by radiomics and deep learning um, algorithms is also feasible. And also to, dis to distinguish between seminomas and non-seminomas is um, feasible by using radiomics. So I think this is also really something we should keep in mind for um, future research. Next, we're going to hear from Peter Albers from the University of Dusseldorf, and he's going to talk on novel approaches to reducing disease burden in patients with germ cell tumours. The topic I'm interested in is to reduce treatment burden um, in cancer patients, and I have been specialised in germ cell cancer over the last decades, and um, this is a role model for cancer treatment. First, it's multidisciplinary. A lot of people have to decide what is 
the right treatment to choose. Traditionally, we combine in metastatic patients chemotherapy and surgery of metastatic disease, and in some instances, also radiotherapy. We have achieved long-term survival rates, um, so cure rate is approaching 100% in testis cancer patients, even if they have metastasis. So only 3 to 4% of testis cancer patients finally will die from the disease. But having developed all this, um, we have now data from Scandinavia, from uh, the Norwegian group. Sophie Fossa initiated this, and now it's um, done by her collaborators. They have data on patients that had been treated 40 or sometimes 50 years ago. And so we could um, observe in these patients' groups the toxicity of the treatment, namely cisplatinum or radiotherapy. And in average, um, patients that have survived testis cancer lose six to eight years of their life due to secondary toxicities, secondary malignancies induced by the previous treatment. That was necessary, obviously. But um, our research is now, do really all people need this um, full treatment in the beginning, um, independent of their disease? So we are now really looking for stages and stage-adapted treatment. And in this regard, we will publish at this EAU some data um, on metastatic surgery, so surgery in metastatic disease in seminoma. And um, we're going to report our series, but this is in conjunction with a series from Sia Danishmat from Los Angeles. Um, they just um, published this this year that small metastatic seminoma lesions can be taken away by surgery. And about 70 to 80% of those patients will not need systemic treatment. And um, the standard treatment still is three um, cycles of cisplatinum-based um, chemotherapy with these um, described long-term toxicity effects. So this is one way of um, figuring out how many treatment do those patients really need. Um, we have invented, um, not invented, but we have used um, robotic um, surgery. So this is minimally invasive surgery to take out the metastatic disease. And this is obviously sufficient for more than half of the patients. And um, Chemotherapy is still the rescue if something fails, so we don't risk something for the patients. We only probably will bring some benefit to them in terms of improving their rates of long-term toxicity. And I think this is one example how in cancer treatment we should think. So it's nice to treat patients, but it's even nicer to follow them for the next um, 30 or 40 years and then try to reduce the treatment if possible and this works in seminoma at the moment. We need more data, we need more trials, but uh, I think the direction of this kind of research is very important. Finally, Matthew Murray from the Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust is going to talk on the use of MRI 371A3P as a biomarker in patients with testicular cancer. About a decade ago, around 2010 or 11, we identified that there is a panel of short non-protein coding RNAs uh, termed microRNAs and two specific clusters that are overexpressed in all malignant germ cell tumours of which testicular cancer is the most common uh, type. And those uh, two microRNA clusters are MER3713 and MER302367. And over the uh, intervening 10 years, What's been shown is not only are those microRNAs at very high levels in the tumours themselves when compared to normal control samples, 
but those levels also very high in patient bloodstream at the time of diagnosis. So uh, over time, what we've narrowed down is uh, from micronase from those two clusters, we initially identified eight that were very high. That was then narrowed down to a panel of four. And more recent work has shown that just one microRNA, termed microRNA371A3P, is very high at patient uh, diagnosis, falls um, with treatment. So for patients who have localised disease to the testis and the testis, affected testis is removed, within a few days, however high the level is at diagnosis, the level has returned uh, to normal. For patients who have got metastatic disease and need chemotherapy, the levels fall with chemotherapy uh, and remain low in uneventful clinical follow-up. So this is a marker that has got very high sensitivity and specificity for testicular cancer. It reflects in a very timely way and in a very active way the uh, disease activity. And the other advantage is that compared to the standard conventional serum tumour markers that are in current use, which is AFP and HCG, uh, this test is 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 positive in nearly all cases at diagnosis and across, it doesn't matter what subtype of a Jamsil tumour patients have, it, it's positive too. So that offers itself real clinical utility, uh, which may improve patient management in the near future. That's the last update we have for you today. So I'd like to wrap up by thanking all of our experts for taking the time to speak with us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at VG Oncology to share your thoughts on the topics discussed. You can also visit vgoncology.com for the latest updates on testicular cancer, molecular profiling, and much more in the field of oncology. Finally, be sure to subscribe to VG Oncology podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean.